Hi, everybody. This is the final episode of our special series about food and family. As you know, for the past few weeks, we've invited our friends and colleagues at LWC Studios to sit in front of the mic. It's a change. <laughs> we asked them to open up about challenging experiences involving food and their relatives. And guess what? For many of them, it was hard. Getting vulnerable in front of your colleagues? Ooh, revealing to other people the frustrations we have with our loved ones and with ourselves at times? Man, definitely not for the faint of heart. So, let me take a moment to say to every single one of our past guests since the very beginning of our show, thank you, thank you, thank you. We honor you. We were already so immensely grateful that you shared your stories with us. And now we're feeling that gratitude on a whole new level. For this last episode in the series, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm putting myself on the spot. Yep, as if you didn't know enough about me. I wanted to talk to someone to really help me and, by extension, help all of us put into context why conversations about food and family are worth having, even when they're hard to talk about. I also wanted to dig a little bit deeper into what these intrinsic connections between food and family and culture are and why it feels so important for many of us to maintain these traditions. So, as always, I'm asking, what can First Gens do to preserve and honor these traditions, to move into new generations with the wisdom, the knowledge, and the skills that our ancestors have passed down? In other words, I'm a food nerd, and I also want parenting advice. Let's get into it. My name is Claudia Serrato. I am a culinary anthropologist. I'm also a Mesoamerican indigenous plant-based chef, and it is a great pleasure to be here. I am so excited to talk to you because I love nerding out about culture and I love food. And this is like the intersection of all of those things. So let's start, first of all, with a top line conversation about why is food so crucial? Why is it political? Why is it at the heart of so many of the ways that we understand who we are? We came from and organized ourselves from social organizations, from religious organizations, spiritual organizations, the way we move, the way we mother, the way we love. It's all based off of our food culture, our food traditions. Food organizes us. Food provides us those instructions on how we should organize ourselves on the daily. It's how we know to be as people, as social people, as cultural people. Food is the base. I love this idea of food as an organizing principle. Yes. Right? Because when you are trying to create an organizational matrix, there are a bunch of things that go into play, right? One is, what are the rules around this? Mm -hmm. The other one is measuring. How do we know that this is actually working? And then 
eventually there has to be evolution. These things have to evolve as we evolve. Absolutely. Unpack for me a little bit, how do we have a healthy way of allowing food to be this organizing principle for us? You know, food has always been healthy. And, you know, there was a rupture as a result of colonialism. Mm. And so, you know, for us to, to recenter food as the basis of how we organize family, how we organize ourselves through social relations, is that we have to do some decolonizing work, which is bringing back food to the center, honoring food as the center, building a relationship with food and a healthy one. And that's going to take some deep historical gastronomic uh, palate work, what I like to call decolonizing the diet or decolonizing our taste buds so that we can then remember because a lot of this has been taken from us. And so we need to remember that food, again, is the basis of, of the world, of how we exist in the world, because that too has been remapped for us, restructured to fulfill a different kind of agenda, an agenda that no longer honors the body as body, but honors the body as a body to produce, to work, or this capitalist system that we live in, right? And so to rethink food and honor it, it's going to take a lot of unpacking, a lot of healing, and ultimately it's work that requires remembering our ancestral cuisines, remembering our relationships to landscape and to each other. Hi, everybody. I'm Julia Calantigua, the creator and executive producer of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. And I'd like to invite you to be a guest on the show. Every episode, we talk to black and brown folks striving to do big things and looking for ways to level up. Licensed psychotherapist Devon Lewis offers feedback about aspirational challenges we all face. Things like imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and especially how we define success. We'd love to hear about your triumphs and where you still trip up sometimes. Send our producer Virginia an email so she can get your story on the show. She's at virginia at lwcstudios.com. Hi, everybody. Juleka here. I'm the host and creator of How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything. And I want to invite you to be on our show. If you're an adult and a child of immigrants from anywhere in the world, I'd love to talk to you about those conversations that are hard but necessary. Things about politics, dating, career, parenting. Seriously, no topic is off limits. Send us an email at hello at talktomommypapi.com and let's get you on the show. That's hello at talktomommypapi.com. See you soon. Okay, well, you're going to love this. <laughs> I'm raising two young hyphenated American boys who come from two parents who come from deeply colonized countries, Dominican Republic and Nigeria. Mm. So help me, Claudia. <laughs> what are the things as their parents that I can do for my own knowledge and my own understanding and my own relationship to food mm-hmm. that can then help me to give them the best relationship to their ancestral foods from both of these incredibly rich cultures. Definitely. Well, I really like that you honor the fact that, you know, your your youth, your semias is what we like to call them, um, is that they have hybrid identity, right? So starting with that, what does it mean to have a hybrid identity? 
how does that reflect in terms of what they eat, right? So what of those foods are hybrid? And that's something I'm learning more and more too as I'm working with, with my own youth and my own children and, and my students is we're talking about how do we honor the hybridity? How do we honor, you know, cuisine in that manner? But then how do we backtrack and how do we recognize, you know, who we are? I feel that it begins with understanding, okay, what of what we're eating today is you know, from our Nigerian ancestry? What of what we're eating today is from our Dominican ancestry? Mm. And also to recognizing of the food that we are eating, what of it has survived colonialism? It's a testament to resistance and to resilience. And when we see food that has still made its way, still makes its way into our hybrid palate today, then that says a lot about the strengths of this food and its purpose of this food and why this food exists today. And then two, questioning what would happen if this food that we do eat no longer existed? Would we still be who we are? And, you know, these are questions that that I like to remind my students and my own children, my own family with. It's like, you know, if we don't eat these foods, then I personally feel we would be lost. I wouldn't know who I am if it wasn't for the foods that we eat, right? And so, really allowing for those conversations to occur, you know, over the dinner table, you know, we have these foods, how do these affirm who we are? And then maybe even questioning that, do these foods affirm us and how? And if they don't, then begin to talk about that. But then I feel too, that it's important to also honor how we have, in essence, have Americanized our foods. But what I've also seen, like in my culture and in my community, Mm -hmm. is that we aim to assimilate, we aim to acculturate and then at some point, we're like, wow, these flavors and these foods, they actually need a little bit more salsa. So then we begin to Mexicanize <laughs> even that, right? And so in essence, it's just like this rememory of our taste buds is making its way back. Who we are, our taste buds are going to tell us, right. you know what? Let's Nigerianize this a little bit more. Let's Dominicanize this a little bit more. And what is that that we are doing you know, to our food to enhance those flavors and why? Because it obviously means something to us. I love that because one of the food trends that I'm loving is I want to say sort of like ethnifying mm. something, you know, like being a vegan or being a, a vegetarian or being a pescatarian, whereby we infuse those ways of eating with cultural traditions. I'm very much the believer that. You can have both, right? That you can have food that is representative of who you are and how you have evolved, but that also touches back to who you were and who you came from. Exactly. But let me ask you the uh, sort of like anthropological part of of the food, which Mm -hmm. is a lot of it has to do with what happens in the process of cultivating and preparing the ingredients. Yes. Right? So a lot of our oral traditions were handed down in kitchens, a lot of the family counseling, a lot of the child rearing, a lot of the wisdom that resulted in who we are today, a lot of that happened around cultivation and preparation of foods. And clearly in our modern environment, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. How do we preserve some of those? I don't want to say ancillary because they're not ancillary. They're very much central to the role that food has as an organizing principle for us, right? Yeah. This really speaks to the fast-paced society we live in today, 
where we are conditioned to believe, I want to say even domesticated to believe that we don't have that time. Yes. That to be in the space, in the kitchen space, it's oppressive. To prepare food from scratch. It's not feminist. It's not exactly. <laughs> but, you know, when we rethink this, right, we understand that the kitchen space is actually one of the most like powerful spaces to be in. It's where you have control. It's where your food is no longer being governed. It gives you this sense of... um power to feed your family, to be the healer of your family. It's like a decolonial feminist move. What I have seen and what I have witnessed in my own family and in my own community is is slowing down a bit. And by that, it means recentering food as being just as important as those emails, just as important as that meeting and just as important as parenting, because that is what the root of parenting is, is feeding our children, feeding our families. It's taking the time to say, you know what? This is our healing time. This is our family time. This is all we have, right? Our kitchen space, our kitchen time, our kitchen table. Because like you said, it's where, you know, we we evolve. It's where we learn. It's where we create memories, traditions, rituals, mm-hmm. the one space that we can honor the food. And allow the food to remind us who we are through the culinary technologies, the way we prepare the food, the way we move in the kitchen. And then, too, the way we use our senses, right? The way we see and feel and hear and taste and smell, like our bodily way of knowing, our sensuous body, allowing our bodies to just be, you know, be human, be the ancestors, and then be the future, right? It allows our use to see and understand that food is is more than just nutrition. It's more than just consumption. It's who we are. We need to reclaim our kitchens and our attitudes about being in the kitchen. It's a celebration. It's an honor. And that's going to take a lot of work. It's, you know, it's mental, emotional, spiritual. Thank you. I really enjoyed the way that you encapsulated those thoughts. And it made me think of this really funny and sad, really, but very telling story that happened to me. So my little boy and I love to bake. We love it. We put, you know, icing and sprinkles on everything. It's a thing that we have always enjoyed doing since he could stand, basically. Mm. And a few years ago, a friend of the family very sort of like traditional man. I was telling the story about how we had made something. It was so delicious. We were so happy. And he was like, the boys shouldn't be in the kitchen. What I mean, what are they learning in the kitchen? And I took a breath and then I said, well, I consider the kitchen a multidisciplinary space. And so they're learning about chemistry, physics, history. They're learning about food preservation. They are learning all kinds of skills and acquiring all kinds of knowledge. Absolutely. But it also reminds me how the gendering of the kitchen really puts my sons at a disadvantage. Yes, because again, you know, the kitchen is viewed as an inferior space. It has become feminized. It's really problematic because, again, those ideas are situated within patriarchal, sexist, white supremacist, imperialist. And colonialism. Colonialism, yes. I tell my sons all the time, the best cooks in the world are men. Mm. So there you go. There you go. Right? I mean, that has to do a lot with the patriarchy. But I'm like, this is one of 
the toughest, one of the smartest, intellectually rigorous fields that there is. Absolutely. And again, even in the hard sciences, it's very objective and you're only supposed to use your your eyes and your ears. And when you're subjective, you use your entire body. It's an advanced way of knowing. Being in the kitchen, you are highly stimulated. And so for somebody to want to downplay it or gender, it really probably even exposes an element of where they themselves need to advance because it means that they're not using their bodies in, in the entirety. That's my feminist critique in regards to to, to that kind of way of thinking. Let's, let's, I mean, I have enjoyed this conversation so much, but let's get a little bit down to the more practical aspects mm-hmm. of realistically, as a working mom, as someone who is very invested in having my sons have a firm hybrid identity that really strengthens them. And as someone who wants them to know that they come from amazing traditions, what are some ways that you think I can help them on that journey? You know, this could be, you know, a kind of sit down, like let's learn, let's talk about history, which I feel is a conversation that should happen anyways, because it is very important for us to understand, you know, why we are the way we are. But I think ultimately, you know, something that has been taught to me and told to me over and over again by other amazing Indigenous chefs that I have worked alongside is that if you really want to get to the nitty gritty and you want folks to tap into that, you know, remembering stage, we need to activate that memory. And so how do we do that? They need to taste the food reintroduce, bring back those foods, particularly those that you grew up with or that your grandmother grew up with, Mm -hmm. with the science and learning of epigenetics. Most likely those foods that you remember are those foods that your grandmother's grandmother's grandmother ate as well. This really speaks to a concept of genetic memory. And so it's, you know, the invitation would be then to let's activate that invite those foods into our home, maybe not just once a month, but maybe twice a month. Let's start there, right? So we begin to open up the palate. We begin to develop their palate. And I like to stick with one ingredient and find multiple ways to prepare food with that ingredient. There's a traditional way, and then perhaps there's a more modern way, perhaps one that, you know, speaks more to their hybrid identity, their modernity. And so that way, it doesn't seem like, oh, well, this is something foreign. This is something old school. Oh, this is from the old ways. Like, no, yes, it is. But this is food that has kept us alive. This is food that wants us to eat it. And if we don't, it's going to go away. Taste the food, prepare the food. And then that's the next challenge because sometimes, to be quite honest, we don't know how to prepare the food, right? Yeah. And so again, this allows for exploration. This allows for us to trust our bodies to tell us, well, what is this food? What are the components? What is it starchy? Is it is it more protein dense? Is it more grainy? And begin to tap into the imagination. And that's one thing that our children are really good at is thinking outside the box. Like, how can we integrate this in in tacos? How can we integrate this in in a pastry. I love that. I'm thinking about potatoes. My kids love potatoes mm. and plantains, which are all over Nigerian and Dominican cuisine. Yes. And they love plantains. And so that's another one that I could really play with. So I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Claudia, you're an absolute treasure. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom. It's a pleasure. All right. 
let's review what we learned from Claudia. Use your whole body. Incorporate ancestral foods into your family's diet one ingredient at a time. And then experiment. Touch the food, smell it, taste it, and interact with it with all your senses. Make it a priority. Slow down and make time to prepare food and eat meals with your loved ones. Centering food is centering traditions, rituals, and the nourishment of not just our body, but our soul. And remember, reclaim the kitchen. Dismantle all narratives and tap into the power of your kitchen. Recognize it and use it as a place for mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual stimulation for you and your entire family. Thank you for listening and for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Trent Lightburn makes this episode. I'm the creator, Juleika Lantigua. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>